All right, thank you, choir. What do you do when Christ and culture collide? Acts 4, 23 through 31. What do you do when being a Christian isn't popular anymore? What do you do when taking a stand for Christ means ridicule or humiliation or embarrassment? You wouldn't be the first. There is a passage in Acts 4, verses 23 through 31, that talk about Christ and culture colliding. And I want us to look at that today because we see our society spiraling further away from Christ. And uh, whereas 50 years ago, the majority of our our nation was Christian, I'm afraid now that's not the case. And uh, every other religion, it seems, has freedom to practice its observances, but if you're a Christian and you want to practice Christian beliefs, you're ridiculed for being politically incorrect. What does the scripture say we ought to respond when such happens to us? Acts 4, 23 through 31, when Christ and culture collide. This is the account of Peter and John who had been preaching Christ and actually healed a man. And for doing so, they're called before the Sanhedrin and are told not to do this. They they couldn't deny the man's healing because he's standing there in front of them. So the Sanhedrin's in a quandary. How do we hush these men preaching Christ? And so they basically tell them not to speak anymore or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And in verse 23, we pick it up. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage? They're quoting Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. In other words, what are we to do when the nations plot against Christ? And they go on. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What do we do when culture tells us to do one thing and Christ tells us to do another and they come head on and collide against one another? What are we to do? Peter and John give us the model to follow. Let's bow together. Father, as we come in this age of advancing paganism, where every religion but the Christian faith is tolerated, 
where in the schools and in the workplace and in our neighborhood, being a Christian may mean being in the minority. And where taking a stand for you may require faith and boldness and courage. Help us to be faithful and to make a difference for your kingdom and for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you stop and reflect back over the last 50 years, I cannot remember a time when our society has seen more change and more upheaval than in this previous generation. In the 1940s and 1950s, everybody was singing Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy of Company B and Yes, We Have No Bananas. You remember those songs? The bad boys were smoking in the boys' room. Cigarettes. <laughs> when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, it was rock music and the sexual revolution and the drug culture in full bloom, and the bad boys were smoking pot in the restrooms. Forty years ago, Elvis was on the cutting edge. Now it's, or 20 years ago, it was Madonna and Alice in Chains, and now it's Miley Cyrus and Justin Bieber. Excuse me while I throw up. If you're ever in doubt as to how the families have been depicted on television, go to TV land and watch a rerun of Lucy or Ozzie and Harriet or Leave it to Beaver or Andy Griffith and look at how wholesome humor used to be. And today watch, and I don't watch it, but take my word for it, Roseanne, Modern Family, um, those things show how TV is trying to move culture in a different direction. And there's a drastic difference in schools today, too. Some of you can remember when teachers and students actually led devotionals in class and prayer, scripture and prayer. We had no idea that we could be sued for doing so. And if somebody actually dared misbehave in class, what happened to them? They got led out into the hall, and you heard the principal's paddle wallop them, and you heard them squall and see them hobbling back into the classroom, and let me tell you, that was a good deterrent. Discipline in schools didn't seem to be much of a problem back then. We didn't have resource officers, policemen. We didn't have metal detectors in the classrooms, and teachers could actually teach without having to spend all this time in paperwork we respected authority, we learned a lot, we worked hard. And I, I've said all this this morning not to throw up our hands in a collective lament and, and say, what's the world coming to? Ain't it awful? Nor am I suggesting that we need to lobby the halls of government and the classroom to become outposts of Christianity because that will never be the case. The, 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 the classroom of Christianity ought to be the home. It ought to be the church. But what I just want to point out is that whereas 40 years ago, if you were a Christian, you were being accepted, today being a Christian means being different, swimming against the stream. And I'm afraid that young Christians might cave into peer pressure and lose their ways. Today, being a Christian means being different. 
Today, being a Christian means taking a stand in ways that might invite ridicule or embarrassment. So what do we do when being a Christian is no longer popular? Well, I got good news for you. In days like today, when the world seems, when our nation seems to be the darkest, that's when the church can shine the brightest. Do you remember in our Christmas Eve service when we darken all the lights in the church and hold up one candle? And how much light one candle in this sanctuary can give off? That's what the church can be in our society today. The darker the society, the brighter one light has the opportunity to shine. And that's what the church of Jesus Christ, that's what one Christian is supposed to be. This little light of mine, I'm going to what? Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. So when being a Christian is no longer popular, what are we supposed to do? Well, the good news is we aren't the first to face this, this problem. Right here in Acts 4, Peter and John are preaching Christ and they are healing in his name. And the Sanhedrin is terrified of what might happen if the crowds heed this, this gospel message and see this miracle being performed and realize the power that Jesus has to offer. And they tell them to be quiet. They tell them to hush. They can't figure out anything else to do with the crowd standing by. So they just tell them to go out and declare his name no longer. What do they do, Peter and John? They do just the opposite. Verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went where? Went back to their own people. Who's that? They went back to the church and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them, all that they had been told to do. Where did they go upon leaving the Sanhedrin? They went back to their own people. As soon as they were released, they went back and they told them what they had been told to do. And that's the lesson for us here. When you are discouraged, when you are hurting, when you are facing a problem, do not withdraw from the fellowship of the church. Instead, let the church wrap its arms around you and embrace you and lift you up and help you down the path. Over and over again, you've heard the saying, the church is not the museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. And so when people are hurting, when they are, are going through a divorce, when there is a financial downturn, when there is an illness, when there is a death... So often I see folks withdraw from the church. I don't know why. But they withdraw and they isolate themselves in their homes when the very thing they need to do is the opposite and that's come to church and let brothers and sisters in Christ wrap their arms around you and give you a shoulder to lean on and help you as you limp your way through the pain and suffering. That's what Peter and John did. They didn't go into hiding as the Sanhedrin had told them to do. Instead, they went back to their own people, their family, their church family, and told them everything that the chief priests and elders had told them to do. So when you're discouraged, aren't you glad that you have somebody who cares? It's this church family is your Sunday school class. It's your small group. Immerse yourself, surround yourself with those who can encourage you and support you and, and pray for you. 
and help you through the dark times. That's what the fellowship of the body of Christ is supposed to be all about. Do not withdraw or isolate yourself because the longer you are away from the body of Christ, the more opportunity Satan has to get in and, and discourage you further and, and do greater harm and just multiply the sense of, of suffering and pain and heartache. But when you're in the body of Christ and folks are, are surrounding you and lifting you up and praying for you, there is encouragement and hope and a future there. And those darts that Satan tries to fire at you that we talked about in Happy Club, the body of Christ gives us a shield to protect us from those, and to keep us safe. But that's only in the fellowship of the church. It's not when you're alone and, and, the, and the darkness of the, of the environment seems to fill in upon you and weigh even more heavily. The first thing, draw strength from Christian fellowship. The second thing, draw strength from God. Look at the next thing. When they came to their own people and told them everything the chief priests and elders had told them, what did they do? When they heard this, verse 24, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They raised their voices together. And this is what, this is what I want to drive home this morning because this is really the, the most important part of the text. When you are hurting, when you are struggling, they went to their own people and they started to pray. Usually, prayer is our last resort. Here, it's the first resort. They, they go home to the church, they tell them what had happened, they share that, and everybody doesn't commiserate and say, oh my, how awful. They just begin praying. And how do they start their prayer? They raise their voices together in prayer to God, and they didn't say, well, like we would say, oh God, I can't believe you let this happen to me. You heard what the chief priest and elders said to me and how they threatened me and now I'm scared, Lord, and I don't know where to go or hide or what to do. What they began doing, sovereign Lord, they said, you made heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then they begin quoting scripture, Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? Why do, why do the heathen rise up against your anointed one? What they are doing is they're starting their prayer praising God. They're just reminding themselves of who God is. And when you do that, when you start, when you're facing problems and you're hurting and you begin your prayer, not by focusing on I, me, and mine, but by focusing upon God and spending time praising Him and honoring Him and worshiping Him and reminding yourself that he is the one that created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them, what happens when you remind yourself of how incredible and powerful and awesome God is? Our problems pale in significance, don't they? Everything is put back in perspective. This problem I'm facing seems overwhelming, but God, you are the sovereign Lord, and you made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them and everything that happened was spoken by the Holy Spirit. And you created all this. And God, I believe that you're still in control and I'm going to honor you 
and I'm going to believe in you, and I'm going to trust in you, no matter what problems may beset me, because I'm going to keep my faith and my trust in you. And to the extent that we praise God and, and express our love for him and our trust in him and our faith in him, I think that measures the quality of our relationship with him. Let me say that another way. The depth of your praise is a measure of the quality of your relationship to God. The depth of your praise is a measure of how close you are to God. You see what I'm saying? Let me give you an example. Let's say you met Ralph five minutes ago, and you turn around and say to a group of people, you know what, Ralph is the most intelligent, the wisest, he has so much integrity and such a fine character. And, you know, I just commend him. Now, what would people think if you'd say that about somebody you only met five minutes ago? They would think you're crazy. They would think those are just empty words that they have no meaning, right? And so what we're doing when we're praising God is we're reflecting how well we know him. And if, if we're praising him and our relationship is not close, our praise is going to be shallow. But the deeper our praise, the more committed our praise, that's a reflection of the quality of the relationship that we have with him. And the better we know him, the deeper fellowship we have with him, the more closely we walk with him, the greater our praise will be. Just like people that you've known a long time have a history with have known for years. You can speak with integrity about the character and the quality of that, that person. It's the same way with God. Our praise becomes a measure of how well we know him. And what Peter and John and the church did after they came together is they immediately began praying and they started their prayer with praise. Sovereign Lord, you made all this. The nations are raging against your anointed one. We should not be surprised. You said it would happen. And so we're going to trust in you. The second thing that happens, and this is, this is what is really amazing to me about this passage in verse 29. After they conclude their praise, I want you to see what they pray for. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to hide and be protected from those that would do them harm. That's not what it says, is it? Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In other words, God, help your servants to do the very thing that got them in trouble to start with. Help your servants to do more boldly what they were told not to do. Can you believe they prayed that? God, we were told that, that if we do this, we were, we'd be threatened. And so, God, help us do it even more. Help us speak your name even more boldly. They kept praying for the very thing that got them in trouble in the first place. God, let us have more opportunities to get into trouble. When we're in the center of God's will and we know it, we aren't afraid of what others might do to us. And incidentally, if you're telling people about Jesus and praying for the opportunity to tell people about Jesus, I assure you, you are in the center of God's will. 
And that's exactly what Peter and John were praying to do. God, give us opportunities to present the gospel, to tell people about Jesus. We have been threatened that if we do so, we'll be arrested and harmed, but we don't care. Give us more opportunities. Now, I have noticed that as Christians, as someone comes up and asks us about Jesus, we may be willing to give a testimony. But how many of us actually pray for opportunities to go out and tell people about Jesus? I've heard it said that, you know, we'll help, you know, when the opportunity presents itself, we want to share Jesus. But how many of us actually pray for the opportunity for, to present the opportunity, to take the initiative, to not to be responsive to the opportunity, but to initiate the opportunity? to tell people about Jesus. That's what Peter and John are praying for. And when you do that, you can be certain you're in God's will and he'll be with you. In verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So they were praying they praised God, they worshipped Him, and then they prayed for the courage and opportunities to do the very things they were told not to do because they knew they were being obedient to God's will when they were doing it, and they experienced in the form of the Holy Spirit the confirmation of God's will, the confirmation that He was with them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The place was shaken, and when that happened, they spoke the word of God boldly. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting, in a small group, maybe in your quiet time, when you are so focused and you're praying so deeply and you feel God's presence near and you know that he is listening and you know that he hears you and you know that he's going to answer your prayer. Now, I, now I know that we aren't supposed to base our relationship with God on feelings and on goosebumps and on emotions because those those things are so fickle and so fleeting. But here, here they are praying and the, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them and the place is shaking and, and they just go out and tell people about Jesus. And I believe that happens to us when we open ourselves up and when we open our hearts up and when we're pouring ourselves out before God. His Holy Spirit falls in power and we say and do things that, that aren't of us but they come through the Holy Spirit from God. And we know that he is guiding us and directing us and helping us speak his word with faith and boldness and power. They began, not only did they pray that God would give them opportunities, they actually began doing it. They actually began speaking the word of God boldly, the thing that they were warned not to do. And they just prayed, and then they did it. And the Holy Spirit was with them. When we're doing God's will, we have the assurance that the Holy Spirit is with us. And, and they were just giving their lives away. They were just going out and living by faith. Regardless of the circumstances, of the threats, for harm if they did it. They were doing what Jesus had commanded them to do. 
plain and simple. When Napoleon's army invaded Russia, they entered a village where everyone had fled but one man who was standing on the edge of the village. He was a woodsman, a lumberjack, I, I guess we would call today. And he was standing on the edge of the village with his big axe stuck in his big leather belt, and he was a big man. And the Napoleon's army raised their guns and started to shoot him when the commander told them to put their guns away because they had never seen anyone so brave and so calm standing against them. And, and the commander said, rather than shoot him, we're going to do something else. He said, let's brand him with the letter N on the palm of his hand. So they took a branding iron and heated it up and branded an N on the palm of this lumberjack's hand. And the, and the Russian man said, what does this mean? And the commander says, now you belong, the N stands for Napoleon, and now you belong to the emperor. And this lumberjack did something drastic that I would not recommend. He took out his axe and cut his hand off. And he said, the hand may belong to Napoleon, but I am a Russian, and if I die, I will die a Russian. It says in Matthew's gospel that if your hand causes you to sin, to cut it off. Now, I interpret that symbolically. Let me emphasize that. Don't go do this. But what it says is if anything interferes in your relationship with Christ, put it aside. Do away with it. Because you can't serve two masters. Either you will love one and hate the other, or you be devoted to one and despise the other. And our God is a jealous God, and he wants to be your one and only Lord and God. Beside him there is no other. And so cut out everything from your life that does not belong to God in a symbolic way. And if you do that, if everything that does not belong to God is removed from your life, you will be different from everyone else in society, and you and the culture will collide. But that's okay, because Jesus also told us to be the salt and light. And if you aren't different from your surroundings, how will anyone ever know the good news of Jesus Christ? God wants us to be different. He expects us to be different. And when we are different, we will have the opportunity to give a witness for him in season and out of season to explain the hope that lies within us. And when we do that, God will be with us. And there's nothing that our culture, our dark culture that surrounds us, can do against us. Because God is God. And he is for us. And when he is, nobody can be against us. Not now, not ever. Let's bow together. Father, most of the time,
we just swim along with the stream and don't really stand out and just kind of blend in. And as our culture spirals further and further away from you, our conscience and our conviction that was once quickened to the difference is being eroded. And so God, help us to be so close to you, to spend time praising you, to spend time in fellowship with you and to walk with you so that when our culture tells us that sin is okay and that embarrassing you is acceptable, then we will know immediately something's amiss (laughs) and that we will be disobedient to your word if we follow culture help us take a stand help us know right from wrong help us give the testimony of the gospel and be faithful in doing so even if it means standing alone and apart from all of our friends and neighbors and co-workers and schoolmates. And help us spend time in you, the time necessary to have the courage to know what to say and to say it when the opportunity arises. God, we want to be faithful every step of the way. Help us be ready now when those opportunities come. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.